Now, with the latest from the world of technology, this is the Tech Guide Podcast with Stephen Fennick. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading once again. Tech Guide. Well, without a doubt, the biggest tech story of the week. Tech Guide. It's a very competitive market, the smartphone market. Keeping you updated and educated. This is a device that combines a tablet, a laptop, and a sketch pad. This is the Tech Guide Podcast. This is the future. Wireless earphones. Tech Guide. What you see is what you get. Quality is obvious. Now, from the studios of techguide.com.au, Stephen Fennick. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide, episode 299. This is the podcast that keeps you updated and always educated about the latest consumer tech news and reviews. Thank you for listening. Thanks once again for downloading. First-time listeners, we're glad you found us. We hope you become a regular listener. My name is Stephen Fennec, and I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, Google both amazes and frightens us with its latest artificial intelligence features, why your monthly mobile data might be draining faster than usual, and Apple to become even more environmentally friendly with its new products. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at the incredible LG C8 OLED TV. We road test the Microsoft Surface Pro with 4G, and D-Link launches its new Cover Wi-Fi system. And we'll answer all your tech questions in the Tech Guide help desk. The show is proudly sponsored, too, by Netgear, Australia's number one brand of home Wi-Fi products, and also Norton, the company to help keep you and your family safe online. A massive show planned for you, so let's dive straight in. Google last week held their annual... Google I.O. It's their their massive event they have. It's an annual event held in Mountain View where the company's located out on the outskirts of San Francisco near San Jose there. And they showcased a number of their new products and improvements on existing products. And they were talking about things like Google Lens, which is a way for you to look through your Android phone camera and find out information about whatever the lens is pointing at. They also talked about smart displays that can incorporate the power of Google Assistant. Uh, so you can use the screen as well, though, to give you visual options for your search or your commands that you're, that you're issuing. And also, uh, they talked about Smart Compose, which is a way Google can help you write your emails. Uh, in uh, They did a little demo there, and it was able to give suggestions about what you might want to write next and how to finish off sentences, avoid repetitions, and even adding relevant pleasantries like, you know, have a good night or enjoy your weekend, all those sorts of things. So really, uh, the artificial intelligence is ramping right up. But it was the Google duplex feature, I think, that got everybody talking. And this is artificial intelligence that's gone to a whole new level. And they demonstrated this in, in quite a dramatic fashion. They, the Basically, Google Duplex is an extension of your existing Google Assistant. Now, you know, you normally you, you ask Google questions and it can give you answers. It can execute commands if you've got smart devices and things like that. Google Duplex takes it to the next step where the artificial intelligence is so smart, it can actually make phone calls on your behalf. So you know those mundane nuisance calls where you might, might want to make a restaurant reservation or uh, book a hair appointment or get a haircut? 
those sorts of calls, you know, make a doctor's appointment, those sort of things where you normally have to take time out of your busy day, sit on the phone, make the call. Well, now that's out of your hands. They demonstrated the Google duplex can do that on your behalf. And it was demonstrated uh, on live on stage during the I.O., and have a have a listen to to it on Tech God on my story. There's a there's a YouTube video of uh, of that of that uh, demonstration, and it is both frightening and amazing. Amazing in the fact that you listen to the calls. One of them's to a restaurant to make a, a table a reservation. The other is to book an appointment at a hair salon, and. Both times, the person on at the restaurant and at the salon would have had no idea they were talking to an assistant, a, a machine. It was uh, the calls themselves. So from from the caller side, so the Google side, the voice sounded so natural and real, and it was umming and ahhing and saying okay and responding like a human would. Those little little bits of grammar that are dropped in, those words that they say, and hesitation, and remembering even to ask various questions. Like in in the example of the hairdresser, it said it said, "Well, uh, no." In the example of the of the reservation, where it was asking about, uh, "I want to make a booking for four on the seventh. And the woman even had an accent, so it was it was um, it did a great job to understand as clearly as if she was speaking perfect English, uh, and it, it even specified it could understand the fact that if you only had four people, you didn't need a reservation; you could just turn up. It also then had the knowledge to the intelligence to ask the next question to say, "Is it very busy if we come at that time?" Uh, and and I think the woman even said, "You want to make a booking for seven? And it said, "No, no, I want to book it on the seventh." So it was incredible how it could respond in real time to this conversation, answering the questions, asking questions. The, the hair appointment went went a similar way with uh, wanting to make a. I think the the, the in that call there was some uh, some discussion about the times that were available, and you got to remember that Google Assistant knows your calendar, so it knows exactly when you're free. I think the woman wanted to make it for one p.m. and or two p.m. and and they said no, no, we don't have any time there. And then the assistant asked, "What about between ten and 12? And that was when they actually made the appointment as well. So uh, remarkable that technology and. While it is incredible, uh, there's a lot of a lot of naysayers out there, and a lot of people who are the 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 glass half empty crowd were saying, "Well, this is the beginning of the end." And I I see their point a little bit. I, I see this as I'm more the positive side, thinking, "Wow, this is an amazing breakthrough that can really help us and and get us back some time in our day." But then there is a little in the back of my mind, there is a little inkling that. In the wrong hands, this could be disastrous. Now, you think about the rampant problem, and we've spoken about it on the program before, about phone scammers, how how a lot, a lot of uh, – we've had a lot of e- emails from readers who've had these calls. I've even offered advice on the help desk about how to spot the, the, these, these scam callers. Well, imagine now if this technology gets developed even further where – Cyber criminals could have a machine that calls not one person at a time, but hundreds of people at a time using this technology. So there is the nuances and the intelligence this call showed, and you have to hear it on Tech Guide. 
the you you'll be it would it's not beyond the realm of possibility to have that technology deployed to for nefarious reasons where uh, uh, this this could be talking to uh, a little old lady in in the western suburbs of sydney saying that there's a a a, a virus on her computer she needs to to do this this and this and to give me your, your credit card details and we'll solve the problem for you it it wouldn't be hard for that to be an automated call so that that's kind of the the dark side of this technology where it could lead and there's always someone looking to try to make a buck and try to use the latest technology to do it. Let's just hope this isn't a way and that Google have some kind of uh, some safeguards in place maybe to confirm the fact. Maybe when you pick up the phone and it is an automated call, like a Google duplex call, it may announce the fact that, yes, you are receiving a Google duplex call. Do you want to accept? And you'll say, okay, yeah, sure. And if it's a restaurant or a salon, you know that you're going to be talking to a robot, but you are still going to have the opportunity to make a booking or an appointment for your business. So maybe that needs to be in place where there is some kind of warning that you are, this is an automated call. You are not actually talking to a human being. Uh, whether that can be possible. I'm just trying to think of ways where this this can still be great technology, useful technology, but also safe technology as well. We don't want this getting into the wrong hands. We want it used for good, not for evil, Google. And that that's part of your motto, uh, to, to not be evil. So make sure that this doesn't fall into the wrong hands. You want to hear more about that amazing technology and hear those incredible calls. You have to hear them to believe them. You know where you can go, techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. Keeping you updated. And educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennick. Well, we are still talking about Google, and the thing that we are talking about now, though, is our Google's Android operating system and the fact that there is an investigation underway by the ACCC, that's the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. They are investigating claims by Oracle that says Google is using up to one gigabyte of your data every month to send back the data it's collecting through your smartphone. Now, take, take that into consideration for a moment. We've got limited data on our plans. We've got, there are some people who only have two or three gig of data, and every time they go over that limit, it costs them $10 per gigabyte. If you're an Optus customer, Vodafone, Telstra, all the same, 10 bucks a gig if you go over your limit. Now, here is a claim by Oracle that says uh, that they, they claim, well, they say they've intercepted and decrypted messages sent back to Google from devi- devices running Android, the Android operating system. This was a story that appeared in the, in the news, in news, on news.com.au and on the Daily Telegraph website. Now, the data that's being collected uh, is not is something that is actually Google's pretty transparent about. Things like uh, your location data, your account information, search history, things like that, which are running. We all know that that's kind of what happens when you look up a restaurant on Google Maps. You know that there's you're sharing your location, and there is a way for you to actually track how the, your, loca- your, your location is being tracked, how to check up on, on, on that. And, uh, but but what, what's the surprise here is the fact that the volume of, of that, of that uh, collection and also the fact that it is using up your own data. So it's, taking your, it's collecting your info and using your data to send it back. Because you've got to remember, when it, whenever you've got a data allowance, say you've got 10 gigabytes of data per month, 
and you might be streaming a lot of YouTube, but you might be also uploading videos to YouTube or sending large attachments, all these sorts of things, those uploads count against your data limit. So in this case, Google, and they're saying that they may be using up to a gigabyte of data each month, and there are more than 10 million Android users in Australia. So the Telegraph, the Daily Telegraph, where I used to work actually, they did the math here. And they calculated that the current rate of data on an average plan is between $3.60 and $4.50 per gigabyte. So when you, if you take into account a gigabyte, perhaps 10 million users in Australia, it could be they're costing us $580 million, up to $580 million per year. And that's at those current rates of data that I mentioned, starting between $445 million, $580 million. So if they were to pay for that data they used, that's what the bill, that's the bill they would get for using that data. So it's, it is, that's a real eye opener. So I, and I have heard from people in the past saying, my data just doesn't seem to go as far as it used to. Well, now you know why, because this is happening. And it is currently under investigation, as we said, by the ACCC. Uh, Oracle tipped them off. And a little bit of background, Oracle and Google are also stuck in the middle of a big legal battle. Uh, too much to talk about right now to go into it properly. But you've got to, see, you've got to think Oracle's motivation here against a, a company they're, they're battling with is to dob them into the ACCC. So make of that what you will. Uh, Optus, uh, sorry, uh, Google is uh, the the company, the culprit here. And, and until this is uh, this investigation is completed, then we'll uh, we'll have to find out. But all the telcos, Optus, Telstra, Vodafone, they're going to bill you if you go over your limit. And if this is what's tipping people over the limit, then you know that that's that's a little bit, little bit of a rough go. So. Uh, if you oh, check your bills, make sure that your data, you check your data usage in particular as well. And, and this data is shared uh, even after you stop using the maps. Even when you phone that you've quit the app, it's still tracking you after that. And there, we, we have mentioned that in our story about uh, how it works and how transparent Google is. But also reminded people of the fact that it's the $10 per gig of extra data that you might be incurring. If Google maybe didn't use so much of your data, then that might be not be the case. So a uh, little bit cheeky, more than a little bit cheeky. Google uh, is in your is in your pocket there because uh, and not only looking at the data from your smartphone and sharing it back, but also using your data to do it. It's like it's like borrowing uh, some sugar and taking using your car to drive it back to their place. That's that's kind of the the physical equivalent of that's the only one I could think of to describe that. But Google, bit cheeky, taking your data, using up to a gigabyte a month. That's a lot of data, especially for people who don't have a lot of data. Remarkable story. You can read more about that at techguide.com.au. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. 
Apple has always been the sort of company that's always been really conscious of the environment. They make their products that are uh, fully recyclable. Uh, they're, they're now, I think it was only last month where they announced that all of Apple's facilities are powered 100% by clean energy. And even they're, they're bringing along 23 of its suppliers are also committing to do the same thing. So I can imagine how that conversation went. Apple would say, uh, I'd, "We'd like you to commit to this, uh, this, 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 this commit, this commit to becoming uh, clean using clean energy, and we'll continue to be your to allow you to supply us for your products." And I don't think, I don't think a company would be saying no to Apple in that regard. So. Uh, it's all, It's all, of course, great for the environment that they are doing this. And Apple, as I said, have always been committed to to this. And their new, uh, the new Apple Park out at their, their new headquarters out at Cupertino, is fully off the grid. There are, I think, it's one of the largest solar panel installations in the world. If you haven't seen those amazing drone, uh, the drone films from uh, Apple Park, check them out. There's uh, solar panels everywhere. And uh, as I said, they are now off the grid. So they're using 100% clean energy for all of their facilities around the world we're talking here, not just Australia, not just the US, around the world. And they are convincing their suppliers to do the same. But the latest development, though, uh, is an interesting breakthrough that Apple's actually been working uh, in partnership uh, for some time. And they've been working with aluminium giants Alcoa and Rio Tinto. Now, why aluminium? Well, think about it. They make a lot of their products from aluminium, including the iPad, the MacBook, the MacBook Pro, and uh, other various other products are made of aluminium. I think the phone's now made of glass, so not, not so much aluminium, but I think the, the iPhone SE is made of aluminium as well. So aluminium plays a big part in, in, in the Apple production, and their products, many of them, as I meant, the ones I've already mentioned, are made out of the stuff. So what they've announced, though, is the fact that there's a new environmentally friendly way of creating that aluminium. So that there's a new smelting process that Apple has been working closely with Alcoa and Rio Tinto to develop. And this new breakthrough, this new smelting process, now eliminates all greenhouse gas emissions from the procedure. So to create aluminium in the past... The process created greenhouse gases, and where do they go? They went in the atmosphere, and that contributes to whatever you believe in, that putting these gases into the atmosphere is not the best thing. If you can avoid it, that's the way to go. This new process, though, that makes them aluminium, uh, and this is, by the way, Apple says, the result of decades' worth of research. This has been around for a long time. We've been making aluminium the same way for the past 130 years. So this breakthrough is quite a big deal. So now this process, rather than producing those greenhouse gases and emitting them, so rather than having the greenhouse gas emissions, this new smelting process now produces oxygen instead of those harmful gases. So... Very popular material. Now the creation of that very popular material is a lot more friendly to the environment and something that you're going to hear more from from Apple, especially when they release their new products, the new MacBooks, the whatever device they make out of aluminium. And there are a lot of them. Take a look at their lineup. There'll be plenty of them. So your next iMac or MacBook 
could now be made from this environmentally friendly aluminium, and it's something Apple will definitely mention in the future. This is a big deal in the smelting business. You think of all the aluminium that's used around the world, not just in computer products and Apple's products, but worldwide. This is a, a, a breakthrough in this in, in the industry, and Apple was right there amongst it. They, in fact, have invested $144 million for future research and development, and they've partnered not only with Alcoa and Rio Tinto, but they've also partnered with the governments of Canada uh, and Quebec as well. So uh, it is really interesting to, the, to see that they are that committed. Uh, Tim Cook, and I'll, I'll quote him here, Apple is committed to advancing technologies that are good for the planet and help protect it for generations to come. We are proud to be part of this ambitious new project and look forward to one day being able to use aluminium produced without direct greenhouse gas emissions in the manufacturing of our products. That is a done deal. That's what's going to happen, and we're going to be hearing more about it. But Apple, good on them for looking after the planet and looking after their own their own uh, energy needs, clean energy all the way, and they've convinced their suppliers to do the same thing. If you want to read more about the new aluminium smelting process that creates oxygen instead of uh, uh, instead of those greenhouse gases, check it out, techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennick. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton, the company that can help keep you and your family safe online. Part of that protection, though, is on public Wi-Fi. Now, a lot of us use public Wi-Fi, but unfortunately, it isn't always safe. Without the right protection, your personal information could soon become public. There's been plenty of vulnerabilities shown in the past. These are examples of how vulnerabilities allow attackers to intercept data that's transmitted across a Wi-Fi network. Personal information that's transmitted over the Internet or even stored on your connected devices, things like passwords, credit card numbers and more, could suddenly become vulnerable. All this personal information can be used towards committing identity theft, things like accessing your bank accounts without your knowledge. The team at Norton, though, are dedicated to helping you keep that valuable information, that valuable data safe. Norton Wi-Fi Privacy encrypts the personal information you send and receive on public Wi-Fi to help keep it private wherever you want to log on. Help protect your information with Norton Wi-Fi Privacy. To find out more, visit au.norton.com. Tech Guide. Now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennick. Tech Guide. Kicking off the reviews this week, and we really enjoyed reviewing this product, we have to say. The LG C8 OLED TV. Now, uh, this is a TV that, even when it's turned off, it's impressive. This is a TV that has uh, OLED, of course, but a super thin display. So thin that if you want to have uh, get a feel for how thin that is, reach out, reach into your pocket and see if you've got a $2 coin. Now, take a look at that. If you've got a coin, pull it out, hold it in your hand, hold it between your thumb and your forefinger on its side and look at the thickness of that coin. What you're looking at right there is the thickness of the LG C8 OLED screen. There is a photo on Tech Guide as well, if you don't believe me, but... It is remarkable, this technology, and the reason OLED is so thin is because it does not need a backlight. OLED is short for Organic Light Emitting Diode, so it creates 
it doesn't need a backlight. It creates when it's sent, a charge sent through it, it creates light, and that is what we see on the screen. So no backlight means super super thin displays. The other advantage of OLED. Not having a backlight means they can produce the purest and deepest blacks that you'll ever see on a TV. That's a hard thing for flat screen TVs to do. You think of LED TVs, all these other TVs on the market, other formats of TVs, they've got backlights. And they have to try to dim them or have them turned off or block them with pixels to produce that pure black. There are other brands, uh, Samsung and uh, other companies that, are, that, are, that have made the breakthrough. They've got really good black levels, but just not quite at the level of OLED. So they're 99% of the way there, but OLED is pure black. And it's because of that, of that uh, OLED material and, and not having a backlight. So from that black, though, you can also produce then stunning colors. This screen is capable of producing more than a billion colors. So that's that's blown us away even before we've turned the TV on. So the, the TV itself, that really thin screen, then connects to the, the base. You know, the base of the screen is a thicker part of the TV where all the, the guts and circuitry of the TV is located, all the ports, uh, USB ports, HDMI ports. And then it's uh, you can either rest it on a stand, which uh, looks quite nice on an entertainment unit, or you can mount it on a wall. But either way, uh, that screen can be seen. When you, when you stand side-on to the TV, it is truly remarkable remarkable how thin that screen is it really has to be seen to be believed if you get down to a store and check out the c8 you'll see it for yourself but in the meantime if you've got that two dollar coin hold it between your thumb and forefinger and look at the thickness of that coin that is how thick the screen on the c8 is but when you turn on the tv uh, that's also where the wonders continue and the quality of that picture that you're seeing, those blacks and those color levels are remarkable. Now, for our reviews, we did watch a lot of stuff. We watched a lot of 4K. We watched it through Netflix and also on disc. We also watched a lot of uh, YouTube. We also watched a lot of free-to-air TV and uh, found the whole experience is absolutely amazing. On, on Even through Netflix, where for, they've got 4K, this, this TV can ha- also handle Dolby Vision, which is a form of high dynamic range, HDR. So uh, that is, uh, it's also HDR10 compatible as well. So uh, the, the, the content looks stunning. Now, if you're watching it, uh, my, pre- my preference is the be- best experience that we found was, was off a 4K disc. So we watched a, some movies and Star Wars and you name it. The Last Jedi is the only movie, Star Wars movie in 4K. Hopefully the others will be brought out on 4K. The, you know, take my money right now because I want to see them all in 4K. But uh, we did watch some other other films as well, and they had HDR, and and the 4K resolution was absolutely stunning. And to see it in through the OLED screen with those brilliant pure blacks and that really brilliant and accurate colours, and just it it, it it was absolutely fantastic. Oh, it'd be hard you'd be hard pressed to find a better looking picture than what we saw with the C8. 4K is the way to go, though. So if you've got 4K either through Apple TV, Netflix, 4K discs, make the investment because you're going to really showcase how good this screen is. 
Now, one of the reasons why it is so good, and that's one of the new additions to this year's model, is the Alpha 9 processor. This really does most of the heavy lifting here. It smooths out the image, so it, it can really, if you're watching action movies or sport, it really creates that nice smooth image. There's no motion judder. It is, is pure picture quality there. So even if you love watching the fast-paced action or sport, uh, you're not gonna, your eyes aren't going to get confused with the picture because it's going to be smooth as silk as you're watching it. Uh, the the Alpha 9 processor is responsible for a few other features as well, a few other improvements, uh, in, including the image processing, color accuracy, all of that. But it also has a great, does a great job in what they call noise reduction. And I, I, in other words, I call it upscaling. So it makes uh, inferior content, inferior quality content, it pump, pumps it up. So say you'll be looking at HD content, and it'll try pump it up to 4K quality, and in the process, it takes the grain out of the image. When 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 images trying to upscale them, they either look really cartoony with sharp edges and a lot of noise in the picture. The Alpha 9 processor actually does away with that. It smooths it out really nicely. So even watching free-to-air TV, it did sort of pop a little bit better than it normally does. And we're even streaming Foxtel now uh, over the internet. That also looked a little brighter, a little sharper than it usually does. The, uh, the, the, so that, 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 that's remarkable in itself. Another really impressive part of this TV is the audio quality. That's something, and if you cast your mind back to my Samsung TV review from a few weeks ago, that was one of my disappointments with that TV, is that the audio quality just wasn't quite there. It was, it was good, acceptable, but for, for a TV that you can pay up to $10,000 for, or $7,000, depending on the size, you'd expect the sound to be coming out of it to be absolutely pure. Now, with the, with the LG, the C8 OLED, they've actually got Dolby Atmos on board. And the speakers are remarkable, how it can produce. The, the technology that can produce Dolby Atmos, you're hearing sounds above you, beside you, behind you, and it's all coming from the TV at the front of the room. And no need to put a sound bar there. It just works out of the TV, which I think that adds to the value of this television, the fact that out of the box, it, the picture quality is amazing, sound quality is also impressive and amazing as well, and you're getting an all-round good experience without the need for a sound bar. You can add a sound bar if you want, if you want sort of bit bit more of a punch with the subwoofer or just a, a better sound but on its own this thing sounds pretty impressive so another tick in the box there for the lg c8 this is also the tv that has the thin q ai on board so this is a tv that you can ask questions you talk to it it's got natural language processing so you can ask it questions and it'll know what you're trying to get at so you might say do I need an umbrella today? And it'll think, okay, you want to know about the weather. Or you might say, I can't hear the TV. And I'll think, okay, I better turn the volume up. You might even ask for content. Like I, I tested out saying, show me movies by Sylvester Stallone. And then it popped up all these movies that were all available out of Netflix. I think it can scrape Netflix at the moment, but I'm pretty sure other streaming services and other movie services will come online and be they'll, they'll be indexed in the, the ThinQ database and give you more choices. But it's early days yet. Uh, it takes a few seconds for it to react so you, you, to, to activate the voice command you've got to hold the remote control hold the microphone button down ask it the question and then release it then it'll give you the answer if you want to just turn the volume up, it'd be quicker just to turn the volume up with the remote. You've got it in your hand anyway. It did take a few seconds. I said set volume to 24, and then about three or four seconds later, the volume suddenly went up to 24. That's great. But you got the remote in your hand. I could have turned it up to 24 in one second instead of having to wait for the four seconds while it was thinking. 
I don't know whether that was because I've been having trouble with my, my internet connection here lately. don't know whether it's a result of that or what or whether it's going to get faster and better. Uh, there's even talk they're going to have Google Assistant as well, possibly even Alexa built in later in the second half of the year. So the the knowledge and sort of the vocabulary and the ability of this AI is going to improve over time. Another, I'm a really big fan too of the WebOS. WebOS is the operating system that runs the LG TVs and not just the OLED TVs, but across the board. That is probably one of the easier and uh, better operating systems that are, that's running on a TV at the moment. I, uh, that, that's, it's only gone from strength to strength, that, that operating system. With each new version, it just keeps getting better. Really simple to use, steps you through the setup, really easy to find your content, to know what sources are connected and what's what. Uh, to get all of that stuff, to just to navigate the TV is really, really easy. The LG C8, now it's going to be available in three different sizes. 77 inches is going to be $14,999. And if you've got the money, you're not going to regret that investment. It's pretty good. 77-inch TV will look fantastic. The 65-inch, though, sort of back to reality a bit more there, 6399 bucks, which is, is pretty affordable when you think about the prices of the Samsung products. You're not having a spring for a sound bar here. It sounds really good out of the box. And the 55 inch, I think, is remarkable value, 4099 These are recommended retail prices in store. They might be even cheaper than that. If you're a good, uh, you bargain pretty hard, offer to pay cash, do all those things, you might get an even better deal. I'm pretty sure the stores, that 55 inch is probably under 4000 already. So do your best, shop around. But the C8, the LG C8, one of the best TVs money can buy, we have to say right now. And if, you, uh, if you're if you looking for a new TV, read our review, read what we like about it, read what we don't like about it either, which I've mentioned here anyway. But overall, one of the best TVs money can buy. That's my conclusion on the review. But you can read that complete review if you want to. Uh, we'd love you to check it out at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. Moving right along, we're going to take a look at now at the Microsoft Surface Pro. Now, the latest version of the Surface Pro didn't have... It's the fifth generation, by the way, Microsoft Surface Pro. Uh, so normally they call them Surface Pro 3 and Surface Pro 4. This time they just called it Surface Pro. They didn't call it Surface Pro 5 for some reason. I don't know why. Don't ask me. Ask, the, ask them at Microsoft why that would be the case. But this is, in fact, the fifth generation of this product. But it is not called the Microsoft Pro 5. Maybe the reason why they didn't do that is because this version is the first to offer 4G connectivity. So you can imagine the confusion, Surface Pro 5, 4G. So I think they might have wanted to avoid the numbers just to make it clear that this is a 4G model now. So you can put a 4G SIM card into the Microsoft Surface Pro. Looks-wise, design-wise, it looks pretty much the same as the fourth-generation device, almost identical. Most of the improvements, though, are under the hood here. This has got uh, improved processors. You've got a seventh-gen Intel core processor. Uh, you've also got uh, – you can get it with a, the, the 4G version actually has, actually has the Intel i5 core processor, 256 gig of SSD memory, that's solid-state drive memory, 8 gigabytes of RAM, which for a tablet – is pretty good. That's powerful. So you've already got a lot of computing power behind you there. Now, the only other addition, the update uh, or improvement, I should say, is the battery life. And this, this surprised us the most. The battery life, would you believe, 
is double what it is on no, sort of 50% better, not 100% better, 50% better than the Surface Pro 4. So the battery on this latest Surface Pro gives you 50% more, more runtime on a single charge than the one that was released previously, the, than the fourth generation. That is, that's an achievement, and this is without making the device bigger, thicker, longer, same device, 50% better battery. That's pretty cool. But the other addition, of course, on this version, this generation of the Surface Pro is 4G connectivity. Now, when I first got this product to review, I'm thinking, where the hell do I put in the SIM card? I was looking around the edges and looking for the pinhole and couldn't find it. And then I uh, looked underneath the, the kickstand, because you've got to remember, this has got a kickstand so it can sit on its own. You can attach the type cover as well. You can also use the Surface Pen. Those, by the way, are sold separately, but I'll talk a bit more about that in a second. The SIM card was located underneath the kickstand, and you needed to use the pin with the Surface Pro to to uh, undo the the to to get out the SIM card tray. I tried it just with a normal iPhone pin, but it wasn't long enough. The actual pin itself is actually, and I'm holding them in my hand now, is almost twice as long on the Microsoft pin than it is on the Apple pin. So uh, Microsoft have a little bit of one-upmanship in the pin department there. Longer pin to eject the SIM card tray. And once you've got that out, oh, we, we popped a Telstra SIM in our one and it recognised it within a second. And suddenly we were connected with Telstra 4G. So anywhere we can connect, that, that's, a, that's a pretty powerful new feature for an already powerful product. You can connect from anywhere. No need to pull out a dongle, hotspot your phone, find a Wi-Fi spot. You can connect from anywhere with a 4G SIM card on board. 12.3-inch pixel sense high-definition display. Looks amazing. Really nice front-facing speakers as well. So this is great for work and for play. So if you want to watch a movie in your downtime, this is a great entertainment unit as well. Uh, and... Let's talk about the type cover now, and that's one of the downsides of the product. Look, this is the 4G version with the 256 gig SS drive, SSD drive, 8 gig of RAM. It costs $2,199, but you don't get the type cover. Throw the type cover in Microsoft. You've got to pay another 150 for the type cover. So if you want to use this as a laptop, the cover attaches magnetically. You've got a full keyboard, trackpad, the whole bit. And again, you've got to pay for the Surface Pen. So if you want to draw on the screen, the pen, you've got to spring for that as well. You'd think Microsoft would just chuck it in the deal. You're spending already over 2000 bucks on a, on a tablet, that powerful tablet at that. But you think Microsoft would give their customers a little bonus there. Throw the type cover in there. Uh, but And also the Surface Pen, you've got to pay for too. And if you want to pay, put a 4G SIM card in, you've got to pay for that too. Of course, you've got to pay a 4G SIM card, a data card. But that's well worth doing. The Microsoft Surface Pro with 4G, it's got Intel i5, 256 gig, SSD drive, 8 gig of RAM, priced at $2,199. And you can read our complete review at techguide.com.au. Now, D-Link has just launched their new mesh Wi-Fi system. It's called Cover. And it's spelled C-O-V-R. No E in cover. Not how D-Link spells it. But I know where they're coming from and I know why it's called cover because it can provide quite a wireless coverage on you in your home. This is a mesh system similar to Orbi, similar to Google Wi-Fi, similar to Linksys Velop. 
These are mesh systems. Now, there are three little satellites on board here, pre-paired as well. They're already being paired up before they were put in the box. So what you do is put one, connect one to your modem, to your router, and the other two then can be positioned around your home. Now, this has got enough coverage to, to, to for up to 465 square meters. So over that that area, you can have fast and consistent Wi-Fi across your house. So if you've got a big house, single floor house, you can spread them out. If you've got a multi-story house, you can put one on each level if you want to. So that way you're getting each of them reporting back to each other, extending that network, spreading it out over that area, and giving you consistency. You can reach speeds up to 1.2 gigabits per second. Uh, combined speed. So if you, you, you've got a lot of large area to cover and you've got a lot of devices, that can do do a really good job of it. It's also got on board the MUMIMO feature, which stands for multiple user, multiple input, multiple output. What that means is it can enable multiple connections at the same time, multiple streams, multiple connections. So you can imagine some little Johnny's playing his PlayStation. Uh, your daughter might be chatting on FaceTime in the other room. You might be browsing. Someone's streaming Netflix. It's it's all happening. This can handle it all at the same time. So it's got that MU MIMO on board that can do. That's the special source that's going to help that happen. Mesh networking. Uh, it's a mesh networking solution because it creates this mesh network. That's what gives it its strength and range. Those three units uh, have two onboard Ethernet ports as well. So if one of them's positioned near a TV or a console or something, you can attach a cable to that satellite so that it gets a little bit, uh, a little bit of a stronger connection and then talks back to the other satellites and back to the modem, and you're getting a good connection across the board. The other cool feature of this product, it's got smart roaming technology. What that means is that it's always scanning the wireless signal strength and uh, automatically connecting your device to the strongest, closest signal. So if you're walking around the house or up and down the stairs and you're streaming something, it's going to bounce you between these satellites to maintain that signal strength so your experience is seamless. That's pretty cool technology. Really easy to set up as well. So uh, as I said, they're already pre-paired out of the box. So they do set up really quickly. There is also, you can use the D-Link Wi-Fi app to step you through it, but it is very, very easy to set up. The D-Link Cover Wi-Fi system, available now. It's going to be priced at $449.95. We're actually giving a a D-Link Cover away on the Tech Guide Facebook page. It's our Freebie Friday competition that we started last Friday. It's going to run for the next week and a half. So if you're interested in winning this prize, head over to Tech Guide's Facebook page, like the Tech Guide Facebook page, like the post, and you're in the running. And you can share it if you want. You don't have to, but you can share it. We'd love you if you share it. But uh, if you want to win it uh, or buy it, up to you. But you can read all about this amazing product at techguide.com. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fenning. Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Netgear, Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Now, we've introduced, Netgear's introduced the world's first tri-band Wi-Fi system. It's called Orbi. Orbi gives you reliable, secure, and crazy fast Wi-Fi to every inch of your home. That's right, everywhere. No more dead zones upstairs, no drop connections through walls, just better Wi-Fi across the board. Orbi reaches up to 370 square metres through Wi-Fi barriers like walls, stairs, and doors. With a dedicated internet connection, Orbi helps prevent buffering while streaming your favourite movies and shows. No matter how many devices are connected... 
you have ultra-fast Wi-Fi speeds. The Orbi Tri-Band Wi-Fi system works with your existing modem to maximize the speed you're already paying for. Orbi's sleek design and state-of-the-art technology steals the show. It gives your home a superior Wi-Fi network that's both easy to set up and elegant to display. With just a couple of clicks, your secure Wi-Fi network will be ready in no time. For more information, visit netgear.com.au. Orbi, better Wi-Fi everywhere. Tech Guide. Now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. Our Tech Guide helped us this week. We got a couple of questions over email. We'd love you to send a voice bite. I keep giving you the shout out to use voice bite. We are going to talk, we are going to have a new, uh, a new product with voice bite, a new feature that we're going to roll out in the next couple of weeks that'll make recording your voice bites even easier. So stay tuned to that. In the meantime, you can uh, download the app free on iOS and Android, voice bite, and that's bite is spelled with B-Y-T-E, hashtag tech guide, record your tech question or your little mini review. You might have a product you love or hate. You want to give us a 15-second review, your voice will appear on the Tech Guide podcast right after mine. So uh, in the meantime, though, we did receive a couple of emails, and the first was about some printer issues. And a person said to us that they, they wanted to print out their images, they wanted to scan an image, and pr- that image, they wanted to print it out on their computer. Every time they scan the image, it comes through as a PDF file, not a JPEG file. Uh, so they said they went through the they went through the settings and sorted all that out and it was still coming through as a PDF. Now my two suggestions were this: one, number one, maybe try to uh, put put the picture on the scanner bed, but then from the computer try to use the scanning software on the computer and set the settings at the computer end rather than at the printer end. So try to control the whole process because, you know, I've got a printer here that I can just put a product, a, a, a document on the flatbed, hit scan, choose the USB connected computer and hit scan, and it'll do it. Uh, I can also, though, fire up the, the software and search for the printer, find the printer, hit scan now, do all the settings, DPI, what I want, JPEG, and do it that way. So maybe try that. The other thing I suggested too was to see if there was a firmware upgrade for the printer. Every Wi-Fi printer has firmware upgrades, and they should. It'll usually tell you if there's one available. Uh, so update it if you can. That might solve your issue there as well. Now the other question I had was an interesting one from a reader who had just bought a. I think they bought a security camera or a product that needed a micro SD card. And there, so they were they were told by the store to buy a fast card. Now this person said, "How the hell? What's a fast card?" They didn't know what that meant. Now what it means is the card has fast read and write speeds. There's usually uh, SSD, XD, HD, XD, XC. These are these are things printed on the card. There's even classes: class one, class three. These are the indications that what the card can do is read and write really quickly. Now, if you're doing, if you're capturing 4K or really high-res images, you need a fast card so it can keep up with the the device writing and capturing that footage or photos that you're taking, as well as playing them back to you for you to see them. So that's what the definition of a fast card is: is SD, XC. You'll see it printed on the side of the card. Class one or class three. Class three is faster. So there, that's how you distinguish whether a card is fast or not, and why the price is different. 
you might see a one a sixteen gigabyte card for fifty bucks, another card same capacity, same brand for ninety bucks. Now you know the difference because one is much faster than the other. And now uh, the amount of content we're creating in four K and those really high res images, then uh, that that's the reason why we need those much faster cards. We've written about them on Tech Guide and spoken about them in the past as well. So we hope that you find that information useful. And that brings us to the end of our show for this week. Tune in next week, episode 300. We've got something special lined for you there, lined up there. You can read about everything, though, that we've spoke about, spoken about on episode 299 at techguide.com.au. And if you want to get in touch, send us a voice bite, download the app, record your question, hashtag techguide. Or if you want to do the email, you can do, hit us up at info at techguide.com.au. We want to give a special thanks to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also give a shout-out to Norton, the company that can help keep you and your family safe online. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week for Episode 300. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. 